Let's bow together for a word of prayer, and uh, then we'll get started tonight. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that you'll help us this evening as we focus our attention that we would be able to set aside the cares of the day and the cares of the week, and that all of our attention would go to you. As the word of God is opened, I pray that you would uh, stir our hearts and bless your servant as he preaches the word. May do it with power. May the Holy Spirit take the word and impress it upon our hearts. As we have opportunity to share testimonies, I pray that as you have been working in our lives and blessing, that we would have opportunity to just praise you publicly and encourage other believers through the things that we share. And as we sing praise to you, I pray that we would think about these glorious truths that we're expressing in song and that we would do it from our hearts. And I pray that our fellowship, one with another, would be very encouraging and Christ-centered. We ask it all in Christ's name. Amen. Well, good evening. Thanks so much for joining us for worship. Please stand with me and open your hymn books to hymn number 81, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. Hymn number 81, we'll sing all four verses.
please be seated as we turn over to hymn number 83. Guide me, O thou great Jehovah. Hymn number song will be hymn number 155, Wonderful Grace of Jesus. We'll sing all three verses. <laughs>
one day. Yes. One day. So we've got 482 here, which we know the children really enjoy. However, we'll continue doing this one. However, whenever this one gets picked, I'm also going to add one of the other recommended songs that you kids might want to consider if you like energetic outbursts. Um, what page is Revive Us Again on? Revive Us Again, what page is that one? So we'll do both of them, but maybe we'll give you some, we're going to try to give you some options here if you guys want some energetic songs here. Uh, revive us again. What page is that? 527? All right. And the rule is, if you guys do well on this one, then we'll do the next one. 527. <laughs> and when we get to the chorus, we're going to say, hallelujah, thine the glory, hallelujah, amen. I want you guys to say amen as loudly as you can. Revive us again. Four eighty two. 
459, 459. Leaning on the everlasting arm. Let's stand, we'll sing both, sing the first and the last verse. When I was a kid, we used to lean on the chorus.
It's not just there, now I hear me. It's not just black and red words on white pages. It is the very word of God that's given to us to help us through the times and the trials. And learning to walk with God. And as a parent, you do this and you're hoping that one day your children will do the same. And that you can continue to do so yourself when they ask for wisdom and guidance and direction. And so, it was very, very good. I appreciated that song. It was very good. We're going to be continuing our study in Ruth chapter 2. Ruth chapter 2. And even the songs that were chosen tonight. Pastor must have been looking through the text or something. I don't know. I like the songs that we sang even as a congregation to go with today. Just talking about the grace of God and the different songs that we uh, enjoyed together as a congregation kind of go together with this evening's message. So I appreciate that. We're in Ruth chapter 2. We're going to just skip around, read a couple of highlight verses, and then we'll dig into the text here. In Ruth chapter 2, we'll start the first couple of verses, verse 1. And Naomi had a kinsman of her husband's, a mighty man of wealth, of the family of Elimelech, and his name was Boaz. And Ruth, the Moabitess, said unto Naomi, Let me now go to the field, and to glean ears of corn after him, in whose sight I shall find grace. And she said unto her, Go, my daughter. And she went and came, and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And her hap was to light on the part of the field belonging unto Boaz who was of the kindred of Elimelech. Skip down to verse 15. And when she was risen up to glean, Boaz commanded his young man, saying, Let her glean, even among the sheaves, and reproach her not, and let fall also some of the handfuls of purpose for her. And leave them, that she may glean them and rebuke her not. So she gleaned in the field until even, and beat out that she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. Skip to verse 21. And Ruth the Moabitess said, He said unto me also, Thou shalt keep fast by my young men until they have ended all my harvest. And Naomi said unto Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that thou go out with his maidens, that they meet thee not in any other field. So she kept fast by the maidens of Boaz to glean unto the end of the barley harvest and of the wheat harvest, and dwelt with her mother-in-law. Father, as we come before you this evening, would our hearts and minds be focused upon you and your word? Would the Spirit of God speak to his people that are here physically and for those that couldn't make that are watching it online? Father, you know the needs of your people. You know the comfort and conviction and you can lead and guide where necessary as the Spirit of God uses the word of God this evening. We thank you and praise you for this passage of scripture and if we just look at some highlights of it, would you use it to exalt and lift up and point people 
to our Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. After reading this chapter many, many times, I kind of entitled it, God's Bountiful Blessings Through Boaz. God's Bountiful Blessings Through Boaz. Now, who is this Boaz? He just comes onto the scene here in chapter 2. And this, really, this chapter really highlights him a lot. Uh, several different times his word is used in this chapter alone. And we're introduced to him in the first couple verses. So let's just pick it back up in Ruth chapter 2, verse 1, to see who is Boaz. Who is this Boaz? And Naomi had a kinsman of her husband's, a mighty man of wealth, of the family of Elimelech, and his name was Boaz. So we get here that Boaz is a man who was a near kinsman to Naomi, close in relationship with the family. So we see that it was a relation to her late husband. We also see that he's a mighty man of wealth. Now, when we read this passage, many things can come to our mind when we hear mighty man of wealth. This mighty man, this phrase can be used to describe a mighty man of valor, one of you know, great um, character, integrity of war to face the enemy. But it could also be one of great integrity and character and one to do what's right. But here it says he's a mighty man of wealth. And as I read and I study through and as I see and as we walk through this chapter and just unfold, unpackage some parts of it, I think what makes Boaz a mighty man of wealth is he understood how to use money and understood that money is just not for about myself and about my power and about my position. Having money and wealth is not wrong. But what we do with it can be. Sometimes people will give of their entire lives and their effort and all their energies six, seven days a week and umpteen hours just to get more money. For what purpose? To get more money? To get more stuff? Some of the unhappiest people, you can name some of your athletes, your movie stars, your musicians, your whoever or whatever you want to call them. Some of them have more money than we will ever earn in our lifetime. But yet, if you just scroll through articles, if you dare, you'll hear drugs, alcohol, marrying this person, dating that person. They can't decide. They seem to be very unhappy. Money is not an end of all things. Money does not equal happiness. In fact, Paul reminded Timothy, in 2 Timothy 6.10, he says, For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they had erred from the faith and have pierced themselves through with many sorrows. So it's the love of money. Why is it the love of money is the root of all evil? Because all of us are sinners by choice and by birth. We're all bent and leaning towards sin and we love to please self. So you give a selfish person lots of money and what do they like to do? Buy it for themselves. Get more of it so they can buy more stuff. And it becomes the love and a motivation of their life. Sometimes you might refer them as a workaholic. And those who are wealthy, it's, it's just never enough. Just another dollar. Just another investment. Just another house. Another company. Here, I think, when it's referring to Boaz, I don't think he's distracted with having a love of money. 
I think he understood how to use it. And I think God, as we continue to unpackage this chapter, uses what God has blessed him with for God's honor and for his glory as we see this go through. And he used the blessing to how God has blessed him to help others. And we also know that it is very difficult for a rich man to enter into heaven. Because as pastor said this morning, it is hard to tell a wealthy person that they need something. Because they're used to meeting needs. They're used to having everything supplied. They have so much they don't know how to spend it and they're not even happy because they just have more and they don't know what else to do. We need to understand that we have need. I think Boaz, and one thing that for a good lesson for us that we can learn through the life of Boaz, this man that we're just introduced to in chapter 2 here, is how to handle what wealth or what money you do have. I don't think it's the amount. I think it's what you do with what you have. And there's many other passages we can go to on contentment, having food and raiment to be there with content, and many other verses that are similar to that. I think Boaz had a good understanding. So when it says a mighty man of wealth, I don't think he was coveting after. I don't think he was just piling up for himself, for his glory. I don't think Job was. I don't think these men were just lifting it to themselves, like, look what I can do. Look what I've accomplished. Because that could be another pride thing. Because if sin, we all have that bent towards sin. And we love ourselves. Just the more money, the more power, the more it's about me. I earned that money. I could spend it how I please. And I can do, and I And I think what we're hinting at here is Boaz was a mighty man of wealth. He knew how to use it. He enjoyed sharing it with others. And he probably saw it as a blessing, as a gift from God, not look what I've accomplished. It's look look what God has provided. So don't ever feel guilty to have wealth or money. It's a blessing of the Lord. The question is, how are you going to use it? Are you going to be a mighty man with it? So continuing on, who is Boaz? We see he's a near kinsman of Naomi. We see he was a mighty man of wealth. And he repeats the family of Elimelech. And look at this introduction. I feel like, and his name was Boaz. I just, I just, when I read this passage, I just feel like it leads that. It's saying all these things about him. And then, but his name was Boaz. Boaz, kind of like an introduction. I'm like, wow, what an introduction to the Bible. Never you hear mention of him whatsoever, then all of a sudden, credential, 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 and his name. That's kind of neat. You know, maybe I'm weird, but I was like, man, that's kind of a neat introduction to this guy. And then it goes right on through. So one, who is Boaz? We see that in verse 2. And we're going to see in verses 2 through 17, handfuls of God's purpose at Boaz's field. So God is bountifully blessing this mighty man of valor, and we're going to see how he gives handfuls of purpose at his field. He uses his field and it to help others and to be a blessing to them. So let's look in in verse 2 here. And Ruth the Moabitess said unto Naomi, Let me now go to the field and glean ears of corn after him, in whose sight I shall find grace. And she said unto her, Go, my daughter. I find this very interesting. Naomi And Ruth here have just, they're traveling back, they're settling down. And Ruth goes to her mother-in-law and asks her, basically permission, do you think I should go glean in these fields? She's learning of some of ways, apparently, of how things and the customs work in Israel. She's understanding there's a way to meet a need. How about I go help meet that need? One thing I appreciate about Ruth is she seemed to be one of character, to work hard, 
And she probably could have helped write Proverbs 31. When we read this, it's just incredible. She's like, hey, she's not sitting around moping around, woe is me. I lost my father-in-law. Okay, I didn't really like him that much anyways. He's kind of an outlaw. But my husband, that is something more special. She could still be mourning, weeping, woe is me. But she travels to a country she's never been before to start serving God. And she learns of this gleaning and asks her mother-in-law. And she here, it's not like she's a little, you know, 12-year-old girl here asking to go glean in a field. This is an you know, an older, you can say teenagerish. I'm not exactly sure how old she is, but she's not a little child asking permission. I think she was honoring Naomi. And I've explained to teens over the years, obeying is different than honoring. And now that I've got four children of my own, I think I've learned a little bit more what it means to honor, to call up mom and dad, my mom and dad, and still ask them questions, bounce things off of them, They've got more earthly wisdom and things, and they've lived on this earth longer than I have. I think it's just a way of honoring them. I love to call my mom on my birthday. I did nothing, but she worked really hard. She really, really did. And I've heard the story many times. The first child is not so easy. And a long story made short, she just, I mean, I don't, her own father didn't even hardly recognize her after she gave birth to me. And they wanted to go in there in those days, and they, they, just, they wanted to like put these metal things in to help pull me out. And she's like, you're not touching my kid. You're going to scar up his face. And the things that she endured were incredible. So I call her every time it's my birthday. Mom, thanks for everything you did. I don't remember a thing. I have no idea. I just know what I've been told. But thank you. Just my little way of saying, Mom, I appreciate you. I'm thinking about you, trying to honor my mother. Guys, if you want to steal that, go for it. It's fine. But here, so we see Ruth going to Naomi, asking permission. I just think it's a wonderful thing. And she's asking, hopefully, maybe I can find a field that will take me. Maybe someone out there is going to love me, and I, I could have grace extended to me to help provide for a need. Maybe that's possible. What is she doing? She's talking about this gleaning. What is this? I want to just briefly look at this gleaning here. Gleaning is really God's provision by allowing the needs of the poor to be lightened and met. I almost don't want to make the comparison, but I will for the sake of illustration. It's almost like God's welfare program. This is his way of helping those who had need, that needed food on the table, to, yes, to work, to enable to get it, but it was saved just for them. I just want to look at this really quick. If you're not familiar with what is the gleaning, we're going to look at a couple of verses here. Going back to Leviticus a couple of verses and one in Deuteronomy. In Leviticus 19.9, it says, And when ye reap the harvest of your land, what you planted, what you plowed, what you are not harvesting, this is your field, you own it, thou shalt not wholly reap the corners of thy field, neither shalt thou gather the gleanings of thy harvest. And thou shalt not glean in the vineyard, and neither shalt thou gather every grape of the vineyard, and thou shalt leave them for the poor and stranger. Naomi is currently poor, and Ruth is currently a stranger. And he says, I am the Lord your God. He says something similar in Leviticus 23, 22. And when ye shall reap the harvest of your land, ye shall not make clean riddance of the corners of the field when thou reapest. Neither shalt gather any gleaning of thy harvest. Thou shalt leave them unto the poor 
and to the stranger, why is his reason? I am the Lord your God. This doesn't make sense. I just want you to obey. I'm God. I'm, this is my way of providing for the poor and stranger. Don't get every little bit. And I can imagine, I'm one of those guys sometimes, if there's something really good on my plate, man, I'm like scraping. My wife's not in here. Sometimes you're tempted to like lick it, you know? And then, she's not here. She's in the nursery. It probably embarrass her to no end. But I, and I, it's just like one of those habits, but it's so good. I just want every little bit of it. I can imagine as a farmer, you want every little bit. I want all of it. I labored, I toiled, I paid those guys to do it. I worked it myself. I plowed the field, got the rocks out, replowed it. I fertilized it. I planted every bit. I measured every little bit. And I've had gardens in the past, not like pastor, but I've had gardens in the past. And man, you know, you're, I was out there measuring and trying to get all this stuff. And you want to get all that out. It's like, man, I planted, I toiled, I worked this field. I'm getting every bit of this out I can. But God says, don't take the corners. And while you're harvesting, if you drop anything, leave it. That would be hard for a guy like me. I'm thinking, man, I worked for that. I want that. I mean, I, I just want to collect all of it. But what God is saying, he's providing provision for the purpose of the gleaning, for the poor and the stranger, don't. Cut the corner. This is one place where it's okay to cut the corner. Okay? Leave it. Just leave it. And if you drop it, it too bad. Hire another servant that doesn't, you know, drop as much stuff. Okay? One more verse in Deuteronomy 24, 21. And when thou gatherest grapes of the vineyard, thou shalt glean it afterwards, and thou shalt be for the stranger, for the fatherless, and for the widow. The purpose of this was not so another farmer will go by, oh man, this is a sloppy farmer. Man, he can't even cut the corner of his field. Lazy bum, I'll take that. No, this is left for those that don't have as much. This is God's way of providing for those that don't. But here's what it is. It's not a free handout either. They're, they're not going, they're not leaving these parts of the field and I don't think that it's not saying, now gather the corners and go deliver it. You deliver it to them, each one of them. And if they ask for more, you just give it and say, next time I'll bring you more next year. And they did nothing to get it. That's why I didn't want to bring up the illustration of a modern day kind of welfare type, just give me because I deserve it because I'm me type of mentality. It's the generation we're going into. I think we're cycling that hard. Hopefully it takes a hard drift the other way. But they still had to go to the field as we're going to see through. She still had to walk to the field work all day, maybe she'd get something to eat, and then walk, and then, you know, beat the stuff, and then take it home and get to enjoy a meal. That takes work. And then do it the next day just to, have a, to eat again. But that was God's provision. That's just some history, some background to the gleaning. Now we'll continue on there. As we look at handfuls of God's purpose at Boaz's field, we're going to look at Verse 3, real quick. And she went and came and gleaned in the field after the reapers. So she's going behind them. She's going behind the reapers. They're dropping stuff. She's picking it up, her and many others probably. And I love this next phrase. And her hap was to light on the part of the field belonging unto Boaz. 
who was the kin kindred of Elimelech. So here's Ruth asking permission to go work all day just to have enough to eat for her and her mother-in-law. And it says she just happened to light and to end up on this field that happens to be a relation to her. Now, did that just happen? I used to, when I was younger, I used to think things were coincidental and, wow, it's amazing. Everything lined up just right and the circumstances all lined up and, man, that's cool that worked out. And then I started learning about the Lord and his word. And I started to see pieces go together. I'm like, you know what? I started saying, I don't really deserve this. Things don't just don't happen and accidental. Wow, look at the timing. Wasn't that incredible? Wasn't that amazing how that lined up? Ah, that's a freakish accident. How in the world? You know, like these atoms just hit just right and formed the first thing. And that thing formed a monkey. And that monkey formed me. And what a coincidence. No, no, sorry. It's by design, it's purpose. You don't think God helped lead and guide her as she just happened to land on this field that was in relation to her? You don't think God put in her a desire to want to work and to provide for her mother-in-law and up at that field? And what we're going to see here is you have a young lady who is trying to do right take care of her needs, and take care of the needs of her mother-in-law. Then you've got a man, a mighty man of wealth, who's trying to run his harvest and his fields the best that he can and have be a man of honesty, integrity in doing so. And what do you know? They just happen to run into each other. You know, sometimes... I think in life, we try and make it complicated and think, oh, what is God's will? And I can't figure it all out right now. And I've got a graduating senior in high school thinking, oh, I got the world in front of me. What am I going to do? Wake up tomorrow, brush your teeth, make your bed, spend time with God and take it one day at a time. That's how you do it. What does that mean? I don't know what it all means tomorrow. But if you keep doing right today. Do you think Ruth was going to this field and just happened to pick, you know what, I'm going to pick this field just because I like it, and, um, you know, hopefully I'm going to marry the owner of this, this, this franchise someday. Do you think that she's thinking that? I don't think so. And in fact, she's just going there hoping to get something, and when she does, one thing we don't realize here, this is, like, this, this chapter, this, I'm kind of, kind of rushing through here, and a little bit of me, is this is not like some romantic thing that these two sweet young couples meeting and running off into the sunset on a white horse. Boaz is quite a bit older than she is. Okay, this is not like, you know, two old young 20s running off into the sunset. Okay, it's more likely that Boaz is probably old enough to be her father, potentially. Oh, that's not what I was thinking. Yeah, I know. <laughs> me too. It's not exactly the romance picture. I don't think that's what's happening. I really think this is two people trying to serve God and do right day by day. And they just happen to meet on this field doing what God had called them to do. Way back in Moab, God put it in Ruth's heart to follow her and mother-in-law and to start serving the God that she was getting to know or already knew. I want to serve the God of Israel. I want your God to be my God and your people to be my people. And that's what she's doing. Way back in Moab, she said that. And now what is she doing? She's just doing what God had put on her heart to do. She's just doing what she thinks is right. What is Boaz doing? He's just trying to run his property and his fields the best that he can before God and be a mighty man with the wealth that he had and take care of it. Skipping on here, they both had a reputation. 
It just is not coincidence. It's not just a mistake. Some verses in Psalm 37, 23. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. In Psalm 85, 13. Righteousness shall go before him, and he shall set us in the ways of his steps. Micah 6, 8. He hath showed unto me, O man, what is good, and what doth the Lord require of thee? But thou doest justly, just do right, to love mercy and to walk humbly with thy God. Sometimes we can waste our todays about trying to plan and work on all of our tomorrows. Sometimes we worry ourselves sick today because we can't figure out our tomorrows. I've been there, I've done that, and sometimes I've learned, you know what, let's just take care of today. I'm not saying you can't plan for the future. I mean, that wouldn't be good, good to just, oh, okay, whatever. I'm just going to take every day as a whim. That's not what I'm saying. But tomorrow may not come. The Lord can go back at any moment. It could be in the next hour. It could be in the next hundred years. But we're supposed to live and do right today. Are you walking humbly with your God today? Are you making right decisions today? It reminds me, I was uh, trying to learn how to play chess against my sons and I'm looking up all these cheats and things because I'm not like a super chess player and so I was watching this brainiac play and he played like 10 people backwards I can't play one person forward and he was like memorizing these things and he was whooping them all I thought man it's incredible I can't even even fathom that but what he said is he said something along the lines of you know how he plays chess he just makes the right move right in front of him right now oh he might have plans for the next moves but he just makes the best move he can at that moment. I was like, ah, he's onto something right there. When it comes to life, you don't plan on, I'm going to marry the owner of this field, and I'm going to take him as my husband. I don't think so. She's thinking, I'm just trying, trying to provide a meal for the day and take some to my mother-in-law. I think that's how the Lord works sometimes. Day by day, and with each moment, we just live every day walking humbly with thy God. And God puts them together. And in verses 4 through 7, we see a snapshot of Boaz is in his field. He's greeting his servants. His servants greet him. And they're greeting in the Lord. It's just like this. is We're just getting a little zoom in of this is every day on Boaz's field. Oh, may the Lord be with you, he says in verses 4 through 7. But he's very observant. And his uh, reapers are very much the same. He's talking to his head guys. He's like, hey, wait a minute. Who is she? Now, I don't know what stood out. I don't know. Maybe she was just new in town. And the guy is saying, hey, She's the one, uh, it's Naomi's daughter. They, she's the Moabitess woman. Yeah, she came here to glean. And he's like, oh, wait a minute. You said Naomi's daughter. Oh, wait, then he is clicking his mind. That's family. And then as we see going through here, he starts taking responsibility to take care of family. It's not so much a romance is developing. I don't think that's what's happening right here. It's not like sparks are flying, love at first sight type of stuff. No, this is just, he's trying to do right. He's trying to take care of family. Oh, this is, this is, this is my relation. And he takes care of her. And he starts, then he introduces himself to her. And as we look through this, they're talking back and forth. And it says in verse, oh, where's it? I'm skipping through here. Look at verse 10. And she fell on her face and bowed herself to the ground and said unto him, Why have I found grace in thine eyes, that thou shouldest take knowledge of me, seeing him I am a stranger? One, I think he's just taking care of strangers the way he's been commanded in the word of God in Leviticus. He's leaving the corners. He's letting the gleaners do a thing. He's just doing what the Bible says. Two, earlier in verse two, she was just hoping to find grace in someone's sight so she can glean. 
Because some, not everyone wants to obey the Bible, believe it or not. And some people may not have let them glean in your field. And here she's trying to figure out, why am I getting grace in your sight? This is one of those moments, well, didn't you pray for that? In verse 2, weren't you asking to find grace in someone's sight? Isn't that how it works sometimes? You get an answer to prayer and you're like, well, where did that come from? Well, isn't that what you prayed for? Well, yeah, but I wasn't expecting to actually get what I prayed for. Well, then why would you pray it? You're supposed to pray in faith, nothing wavering. And I think that's the moment that Ruth is having here is, wait a minute, I prayed and I wanted to have grace in someone's sight, and I found it. And then there it is, sitting right in her face. She goes, I can't believe this is happening. I know, isn't it amazing? Isn't it so wonderful that sometimes God just like spews out his goodness and demonstrates it through answering prayer and doing it in a more abundant way than we ever thought or imagined was possible? Amen. I mean, who would have thought we could serve a God like that? Wow, that's amazing. After she traveled to a land that she didn't know, after she lost her, her husband, and she's around a bunch of strangers, and now she's in a time of harvest, if you will, of a spiritual harvest of blessing, and she gets to eat while she's doing it. Wow, this is amazing. You're being so kind and good. Isn't that how God is to us? Isn't it so great that Jesus Christ is so kind and good to us? The sinless, selfless Savior dying for our sin. And sometimes we just treat him like anyone else. And then he goes beyond. I read, I believe, in verse 16 and 17. He is going beyond. He is now purposefully telling his people, Drop stuff on purpose. Look at this. This is incredible. And let fall also, verse 16, some of the handfuls of purpose for her and leave them that she may glean and rebuke her not. Now she's getting extra help. He is telling his people, drop stuff on purpose just for her. What's he doing? He's taking care of family. He's probably not looking at this young lady and going, wow, she's beautiful. I'm going to marry her someday. I don't think so. And the reason I think that is because when we fast forward to the end, she's there for two harvests, the wheat and the barley harvest. She's there a long time. This is not like sparks, romance, flying in air. This is just two people trying to live according to how God has them just take one day at a time, and God is bringing their paths together. And as we see in the future chapters, he's going to start obeying God and doing what he's supposed to do as a kingsman redeemer, which is a wonderful picture of Jesus Christ coming to redeem us and to give us bountiful blessings that we don't deserve because we're selfish sinners that are dirt wrapped in flesh that love ourselves. And he says, I'm going to die for you. I'm going to love you while doing it. Wow, that's like handfuls of purpose. He's doing this for me and for us. Incredible. So handfuls of purpose is at Boaz Field. And all this by doing so we're going to see very quickly in verses 18 through 23, blessings that the Lord provide and end up being for the widow's need. By him helping Ruth and taking care of family, he knows that this is going back all the way to Naomi. Let's skip here. Look at verse 19. This is where Naomi now is, receives Ruth back home. She's like, well, what, what happened? She says, where'd thou glean today? Verse 19. And where wroughtest thou? Blessed be that did take knowledge of thee. Man, this is incredible. And she showed her mother-in-law with whom she had wrought and said, the man's name with whom was wrought today is, here it is again, Boaz. His name is like at the end. I was at a name, I think his name was Boaz. She says, what, Boaz? And so she says to Ruth in verse 20, blessed be he of the Lord whom hath not left off his kindness to the living of the dead. And Naomi said unto her, 
the man is near kin unto us, one of our next kinsmen. Do you think Ruth had a clue what was going on there? Apparently, she still didn't know because Naomi had to explain it to her. She's going to Boaz, and Boaz is saying all the stuff, and she is falling down and saying, man, you are being so kind to me. I don't get this. Man, this, this God of Israel, the people of Israel are amazing people, and they're blessing God. I can imagine if everything was there for me, she was doing what she's supposed to be doing, and now Naomi is telling him, you were at Boaz's field. He is a relation to us. And now Naomi is telling Ruth what's going on and saying, he is potential that could help us in the future. Ruth knew none of that. And this takes time. They, look, look at this. And as you continue on, she said unto her also, stay by the young man in verse 21. And then in verse 22, Naomi said unto Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it is good, my daughter. Can I say, it is always good to try and do right day by day. There will be people that will not like it. There will be people that will get upset at you. They'll think oh, that, you're, that you're weird. You read your Bible. You go to church. You give what? You give 10% and then you give the missions? You are crazy. You go to church four times a week, three times in one day? You are weird. And you can just smile and say, thank you. I'd like you to be weird with me. <laughs> Let me tell you of the Jesus Christ that has saved my soul and I just can't wait to go to church on Sunday. And the blessings I'm reminded of through him. So it is good, my daughter, verse 22, that thou go out with the maidens. And, you know, and she said, don't go to another field, verse 20, 23. So she kept fast by the maidens of Boaz to glean unto the end, here it is, of the barley harvest and of the wheat harvest and dwelt with her mother-in-law. She stuck with her mother-in-law. She kept on working just day by day, being faithful. Obeying God day by day. We can get God's bountiful blessings and learning this through Boaz's field if each of us just does our best to obey what we know to do today. And when we make up tomorrow and we do our best to obey tomorrow and to walk humbly with our God, he will bring us into the past of others. He can encourage us. He can bless us. Oh, there's, there's challenges and difficulties, yes. I'm not saying a Christian life is all just a bunch of petal of roses and everything. You people go to church because they got life figured out. I've told people church is more like a spiritual hospital. People go there to be encouraged to hear the word of God. People go there because they know they need the word of God, not because they have everything figured out. Often we go because we don't have it all figured out. It's more like a spiritual hospital. But here... Are we receiving that God's blessings by doing right and encouraging us? You want to know how, how all your tomorrows? That's fine. You can pray about it. But I think here we've seen two people just doing what God had called them to do despite their circumstances. One poor, basically destitute. The other one wealthy. Both were doing right. And God brought their paths together. And we're going to watch this unfold in the next couple of chapters. But would God help us to understand that we can receive blessing, that through obedience to him, even through hardship, and sometimes he has bountiful blessings and handfuls of purpose for us to encourage us and help us along and see how good and gracious God is. Father, I thank you so much for the kindness and the generosity of you demonstrating it through us through this chapter of Ruth. And Lord, you were good to Boaz, and Ruth here was beginning to see your goodness even materially 
because she trusted in you all the way back in Moab. Each was just doing right day by day to take care of their needs and to live before you with honesty, integrity, and to do what's right. And sometimes you just decide to show off your goodness and kindness at different times for different purposes. Would we love you and we trust you and we enjoy both. Help us to be mighty men and women of wealth if you guide that way. Help us to continue to seek and to serve you graciously and just watch with expectation of how you can answer prayer and trust in you through the process. Father, we thank you and we can praise you for all this. Through the precious and glorious name of our Savior Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Pastor. Isn't that a great chapter? And such very important things for us to be reminded of. Let's go ahead and pull out our hymn books. Turn to 156. And uh, this is a great hymn for us to close out. How can it be? All three verses. Let's stand together, please. Let's sing it out. Savior, as my eyes behold the wonders of thy might untold, the heavens in glorious light array, the vast creation thou hast made. And yet to think thou lovest me, my heart cries out, how can it be? Thank you. 
good day to be in the Lord's house. It's a fellowship with other believers. Uh, teens, you have a syncopation tonight, so after service, head to the back uh, so that you can be ready for that. And um, looking forward to our continuation of our series on the Sermon on the Mount. And so hope that many of you can join us back on Wednesday night for that. Um, maybe it'll snow between now and then. That's what they're saying. So, uh, Brother Charlie Cross, can you please come and close us in prayer? And uh, good to see each of you tonight. pray. Dear Father, we just thank you for this time that we can come and worship you and learn of your word, take the message that we heard tonight and uh, seal it to our hearts and help us to apply it. And we thank you for your love. Now be with us as we leave, keep us safe, and bring us back um, for other services. We thank you these things in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>